Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. The Apostles' Creed, for those who haven't gone through the series with us, is an ancient first century creed. A creed meaning this is what we believe. Creed from credo. And believe means that we rely on this. We trust in this. We put our weight into it. We live this way. So this creed, um, the center of it is what we're going to focus on today. The very middle of this creed. And the middle of the creed talks about Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we shouldn't even be here this morning. Do you guys realize that? Like, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what Paul is saying here, he said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And he goes on and says more and more about it. But if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You never hear that word. You only hear that on, like, sci-fi movies where aliens are invading to take over the world, and they use the word futile. It means it's a waste of your time. And so if Christ has not been raised, we're wasting our time. If this morning... As I was coming here, I got evidence and weight that made me come to the conclusion that I no longer have trust or reliance that Jesus rose from the dead. There's no reason for us to be here. I wouldn't have shown up. I probably would have sent out that email, if you'd filled out a connection card, that told you, forget about it. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We're wasting our time. I would be surfing right now. I'd be watching football. I would cha- My whole life would change. Everything would change. Would yours? And if that's the case, if it carries that much weight, how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you know that Jesus rose from the dead, and how do you know? To give you an example of someone putting their weight into something that they have no evidence for, um, I, I know someone that was on a plane, and this is a common scenario. They were on the plane. And they were next to each other. And you know how it is when you're on the plane. You don't really want to talk to the person next to you. Well, actually, those of you who are introverts or semi-introvert extroverts like me, you don't want to talk to the person next to you. And there's other, others of you like, oh, my gosh, who am I going to talk to? I can't wait. Okay, we're talking about people like me that get on the plane and don't really want to talk to everybody around them. Um, this person saw them reading a Bible because this person was just like in their mode. And the person said, oh, you're reading that? That's a waste of time. And the guy that was sitting there is kind of bitter himself, and he was thinking to himself, why are you talking to me? But in the midst of it, he thought, you know what? Let's see where this goes. Not because he loved her, not because he wanted to share with her. He just wanted to fight her. That was straight up his reasoning. He just said, he goes, I'm just going to get an argument with this girl. But then as he's starting out, he goes, okay, I can't do that. That's stupid. So he just asked, why do you think that? And she said, well, because I read a book on it. I read a book that laid it out and talked about how this is all made up and how centuries later, Constantine did this and this and this, and it's all a lie. Really? Okay, well, which book was it? What was the name of the author? I, I can't remember his name. Was it a guy? Or, I, don't, I don't know. Was it a girl? I don't know. Okay, well, <clears throat> what was the name of the book? I don't remember the name of the book. Okay, well, maybe you know a book that this person wrote that wasn't that book, like another book this person wrote. Well, I, I don't know that either. Okay. Well, what was this per- the person that wrote the book? What were their credentials? Like, why did you trust this? I don't, I don't know. 
Okay, so let me get this straight. You have made a decision to not trust the claims that Jesus had, that he was the Son of God. Not the claims that millions of people around the world have. You've disregarded it, and you're attacking me for it, saying that this is a lie. You've built your life, you've compassed your life in this direction based on a book from someone who you don't know who it was, you don't know what credibility they have, you can't even remember the name of the book or something else they wrote. Am I getting that right? And then, of course, the conversation just kind of stopped and they flew and did what they did. My concern is for us that we're reading our Bible and someone's sitting next to us and we feel like, you know what, you should be believing this. And we go through all of that and we have no idea why. We have no reason for our faith. We have no reasonable evidence. We've never done that. We just believe because somebody told us. Of course Jesus rose from the dead. I, somebody told me he rose from the dead. Sometime I heard some speakers say that there's evidence and there's this and the, the Matthew and Mark wrote it first. and the, it's, it's in there. It's in there. But you don't know where it is. You just kind of heard it and you can't remember the person that wrote it. Or you read some book one time or went through some small group study. But you didn't really read the book because you're in that small group study. But you know no one ever really reads the book. You just show up and try to fake your way through it in the home group. Not that anyone ever does that. But if you did that, that happens. And we can't be those people. We need to know why we believe what we believe. Primarily because of this. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If you don't really know that and have evidence and believe in that, then really your life's not going to change. Everything hinges on this. Let's look at the Apostles' Creed. When I say everything hinges on this, I mean literally it hinges on this. Notice that right there in the middle, the first white line says, the third day he rose again from the dead. Like it's in the center of the creed. Why? Because everything hinges on this faith that he rose from the dead. Because if he didn't, everything crumbles. So we've been sharing this creed together as a church. And um, I shared that there are churches all over this city, the city next to us, South Orange County, California, the United States, around the world, that share this creed every time they get together. And some of you are like, yeah, that's why I didn't go there, because I can't stand that liturgical stuff. This is beautiful. We don't always do this, but this is beautiful because these are the essentials of our faith. This is why the people at St. Edward's Catholic Church are our brothers and sisters because we believe on this. They think we're weird, but that's okay. We think they're weird too, but we're brothers and sisters because we agree on this. We believe in the essentials, okay? Okay. My buddies from Shoreline are here. We help plant Shoreline. They're our literal brother and sister church. They're weird. They do weird things. And you know what they think? Eric's going to go back and he's going to say, dude, they did some weird stuff there. We're weird to each other, but we're part of the same family. We believe this together. This binds us. And so that's why it's repeated every week in some of these churches, because it's powerful. Sometimes you just go through the motions. Like I shared for you that I went through when I visited my friend's church. My goal was to try to memorize it so I could look like I fit in. I didn't believe any of this stuff. I just wanted to fit in. So often we do that. We don't even know what we're saying. But we're only going to do the orange part because that's what we've studied. You don't even have to say it. But as a church, for those who believe, we do this together. So if you could stand with me and let's uh, share the orange part of the creed together. I don't want to shock you, for those that are visiting, if you get to the white part, we're not reading that right now, because we're only going to share the part of the Apostles' Creed week by week, 
as far as we've studied. So let's read it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. Okay, please be seated. What we're going to do now is, is focus on the white line, the first one. The third day he rose again from the dead. That's what we're looking at this morning. That's all we're looking at this morning. Because it's so important. Because all of our faith hinges on that. And if anything happens today, what I want to happen is this. I want you to leave not having the evidence. Because you're not going to get all the evidence you want today. I'm going to share some of it. But I especially want to share the process of people like Paul and the disciples as they wrestled with this evidence. Because they had to come to that conclusion, do we believe that he rose from the dead? And Paul especially had to wrestle with that. And so this past week, um, I have a couple guys I get together with every once in a while. We, we talk about our lives and faith and, and um, younger guys. And so I was meeting with them and I... I said, you know what? While I'm going through this, why don't you look at the scriptures and especially look at stuff outside of the Bible? And I want you to look at the evidence that there is that Jesus rose from the dead. Go find evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And so, you know, they did what you would do. They Googled. And then they went from there and it took them on a train. And then around Wednesday, I said, you know what? I didn't have this as a plan. I'm being completely honest with you. This was not my plan. But what I want to happen on Sunday is that everybody would end up doing what you're doing. And so, since that's the case, why don't, at the end of both services, you guys come up and you share what you discovered, and people can text in questions. And their eyes got really big, but they said, well, okay, let's do this. So, at the end, they're going to come up. So, I want to put our Google uh, number up there. So, please, I know this is not what you typically do at church. Grab your phones. (laughs) Grab them and prepare to text right now. So, everyone. No, really. Bob, grab your phone. You're a texting machine. I know you are. And I want you to text a test to this. Okay? So that way it's out on your phone. It's already going. Because I want you to text in any questions that come into your mind now or that you've had before about Jesus rising from the dead. Like, for example, some that happened in the first service. Um, how many books were, you know, how many, where do we find evidence outside of the Bible? Um, what, are there discrepancies in the Bible about the resurrection? Um, how do we know that this wasn't made up? How do we know that we can trust the Gospels? All kinds of questions. Um, so whatever question comes to your mind, text that in. Because if you don't, then I'm going to have to ask them questions like I got in the first service. Hey, Matt, are you single? Like I got a couple of those from their friends. Um, I had a black sweater because I have to dress in layers because it was colder this morning. Boog, why are you dressed like a priest this morning? What's going on? So I don't want to ask them those questions, so it would be a lot more helpful if you asked real questions. So we did have some real ones, but if you could ask those, those would be helpful. So let's get started here, and we're going to look at Paul and how he wrestled with this. So um, you should have already texted by now. Let's go to the next slide. We're going to look at Paul's journey. Now, Paul was not a non-believer. He was a definite believer before he came in contact with the risen Lord. However, he was not a believer in Jesus being the Messiah. But he was not only a believer of the Jewish faith, he knew there was one true God, and he knew there was going to be a Messiah. 
But he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. What that means is, you know those people you're like, if I had a question about the faith, I would ask that person. And then if it was a really tough question, I would ask that person. Whoever that person is, that's Paul. That was Paul in their community. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was one of the top of the Pharisees. They were like, oh, the leaders of the faith. And so when he heard that there was a man named Jesus and he had died, and there were others saying that he rose from the dead and that he was the Messiah, he was furious because they were crumbling his faith. Ever had that experience where someone questions your faith? And he's like, you're saying that this Jesus is the Messiah? No way. And so he literally went around and had them killed. And he got permission from the government and Jewish leaders because he was one of the leaders. And that, he turned that into his job. That, he, he was able to write his own job description. His job description was go and kill those who are followers of the way. They didn't call them Christians at that time. They called them followers of the way, the way following Jesus. And so he went. And on this journey, during the journey, he had, he's on the road to Damascus. He's already killed other believers. He's known for that. The other followers of the way are frightened of this man. They're like, oh, I really don't want to die. And so here comes Paul. On the road to Damascus, he comes in contact with the risen Jesus. Jesus confronts him, strikes him blind, and says, why are you persecuting me? Because by him persecuting his followers, he's persecuting Jesus. Okay, remember what Paul's job is, right? So Paul, right now, at this moment, calls, Paul calls Jesus Lord. Okay, right there are guidelines for losing your job. This guy has a job. You understand that, right? Like, he is a religious leader. Not only that, but then he goes to Damascus. And we know he goes to Damascus from here in 1 Corinthians 15. We know he goes to Damascus, but we also know... That later on he goes to Jerusalem. Why does he go to these places? To ask questions. And why would he ask questions? Because Paul, by following Jesus, is so fired from his job. If he's married, she's probably freaking out and she may leave him. Do you realize that this happens? Like, he is part of this faith and if he starts to go off to this group who is considered a cult. You do understand that the believers in Jesus at that time were considered a cult because they were different. He's going to lose his job. His, his, everything has changed. You know, if you're going to make a decision like that, you better know this really happened. And so he goes, why? To confirm, did this really happen? Do I, am I crazy here? Did I just have a mental episode? Did I hallucinate? Maybe this didn't really happen. Maybe I was just really tired from hiking and I kind of lost my mind a little bit. I don't know all the questions. But here, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 4, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, what he's sharing here, you can't see it, but in the language he says, What I received, I passed on to you. What I received, I passed on. That is a rabbinic tradition. This is a Pharisee. He is in this tradition where when you learn things, you officially go through it, you wrestle with it, you argue about it. That's what the rabbis do. They argue and yell at each other. They come to a conclusion, and then they pass that on to others. He is using this and saying, you know, I've received something. And it's changed his whole life. It's turned him upside down from one person into another person. 
And I now pass that on to you because that's the tradition. That's what we do. And what am I passing on? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Does that sound familiar to you? Think about that. Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised. Does that sound familiar to you? It should be because it's in the Apostles' Creed. Can you go back to the Apostles' Creed? It's almost exactly the format. We know that what Paul was sharing was not the Apostles' Creed in its final form that it came to sometime in the first or second century. What he is sharing is what he officially has to pass on. And he didn't just believe it at first. He went to Damascus and he he wrestled with it. And then he goes to Jerusalem and he wrestles with it, which is three years later. He wrestles with that because this is a big deal. And it needs to be passed on. And we know the timing here. You know, you ask that question, well, how do we have evidence? We also, we've been talking about this, the letters in the Gospels were written before, I mean, the letters of the New Testament were written before the Gospels. You know that, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written after the letters. So here we have evidence of this faith before they were written. Not only do we have evidence of it, but we've been able to date this back to probably within five years. Because Paul, think about Paul's situation, okay? Christ dies, he's buried, he raises again, then he ascends, he has all of these people that have seen him, and then Paul goes on this murderous rampage. Stephen, one of the early disciples, was killed. There's a dispersion. We know when that happens. That happens early. And we know that this didn't go on for too long with Paul um, persecuting everybody. So sometime within five years after Jesus' death, this has existed. This meaning this creed. In 1 Corinthians 15, there is no one in literature that would argue that that's a creed. So when you look at the 1 Corinthians 15 passage that I just showed you, that is an early creed. No one in literature, no one that's a believer, no one that's not a believer that studies this argues that point. It's not up for debate. No one goes against that. At least no one that's credible. Now, I'm telling you this, right? You've got to look this up for yourself. Look at the people that argue about it. Look it up. Okay, so here we are. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And what? This. This happened. Why is he saying I received this and I passed on? It makes it sound like someone just gave it to him. That's not what happened. Let's look at Galatians, and I'm going to go to the next slide. Paul is sharing about his journey, his journey of wrestling with this. And he's talking to the church in Galatia, and he talks about the second time that he goes to get evidence. You think that someone who has seen the risen Jesus, think about that. He has seen the risen Jesus. Why does he need to go ask people questions? You know what I mean? Like, look, you saw Jesus. Why are you still asking questions? After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted. You need to understand that word. Some of your Bibles will say different things. The word is hysteria. What that means is that's where we get the history, right? That you see the same root. Hysteria means not that you go, hey, Peter, you know what? I have, we haven't hung out in a while. I've heard about you. Let's get acquainted. I want to know more about you. That's not what that means. What it means is it means to examine. It means to cross-examine. It's a word that's used in trials. It's used for evidence and witnesses. So when he says get acquainted, it means I'm coming to examine you. I want to cross-interrogate you. Why? Why do you need to do that? This is three years after 
Paul has seen the risen Jesus. And on top of that, then he goes to Damascus and asks more questions to the disciples that were there. And then three years later, it's like, Paul, do you still not yet believe? No, because he's normal. You guys would do the same thing. You do it right now. Only for us, we don't usually cross-examine anyone. We don't look this stuff up. We just go, well, I hope it works. I hope it seems really reasonable. And I really need it to because I've been building my life on this. And I have evidence that it seems to be working for me. But do you know that he rose? Do you have any reasonable evidence to put your faith in this? And Paul has the evidence, but he does what every human being does. He doubts. It is understandable if you have your doubts. We look at Paul. The dude wrote half of the New Testament, if not more than that. And yet he has to continue to cross-examine and ask the questions. Why? Well, think about what we looked at earlier. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are wasting our time. You think of John the Baptist. When Jesus was, was... walking amongst people, John the Baptist pointed everybody to Jesus. said, this is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Don't follow me. All these people were following John the Baptist. He said, follow him. And then John the Baptist gets thrown into jail and he's about to get beheaded and then he sends his disciples, the people that were following him, with this question to Jesus. Jesus, are you the one or should we be expecting another? It is normal to have these questions. What is not normal is to do what the lady on the plane did and build your whole life around something that you've never looked into on your own. What he's doing here is hysterical. Not hysterical, hysterical. He's looking into this to wrestle with this, to examine this. And for most of us as believers, we just go, look, I grew up in this, or somebody told me, and my life was a mess, so I started following Jesus, and things are better, so I'm going to keep going down that road because it keeps seeming to sound like the right thing to do, and I keep seeing the evidence of goodness around me. It makes perfect sense. But it's not something to build your life on because Jesus didn't give us just that. It hinges on, did he rise from the dead? Um, I want to share just a little bit and I say just a little bit because we don't have so much time. I mean, I could go on for days with this because I had to do the hysteria. This is a big deal for me to follow this faith. Um, I had one of my best friends in high school who was part of a cult. He didn't think it was a cult at the time, and I didn't even know what a cult was at the time. I just knew they were weird, but he was part of this group, and he never asked questions. And so we went to high school same. I mean, when I say my best friend, I don't mean like, oh, what am I? Fr-? I mean like my best friend. The kind were like, oh, they're always together. And I'm 44, so he's 44. It wasn't until 40 years ago that he started asking the questions. He'd already gotten married, had six kids. He'd, he'd brought all his, his siblings in and his parents and the whole deal. And they built their life around this. And he started asking questions. Finally started doing the hysteria. Because before, it was just like, yes, yes. I mean, the way it was, you just believe. Here it is, here it is, here it is. And he, he just, why, why not believe it? Why did he have any reason to distrust them? They were good people. They still are good people. But he started looking into this to the point where he's like, whoa. I mean, he, you need to understand how far this guy went to. In this faith, you can move up to a certain point where you can become like the pope of this faith. And it's a large faith. I don't want to roll this faith under the bus, so to speak, because um, I want you to look into this for yourself. 
But this is a very large, well-known religious organization. And he went into this, and he was so high up because he had moved his way up. You have to be independently wealthy to have these positions. He became rich for that purpose, uh, multimillionaire. And he got to this position, and then he started asking these questions. Okay, he's pretty deep by now. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's so going to get fired if he causes a, a ruckus here. And this isn't his job even. He has a separate job. But he moves his way up. And he has access to the Pope, so to speak, of this cult. Because he's that high up. Nobody else could get to this guy, but he's that high up. And so my buddy went and started asking these questions. And he asked these questions and asked these questions. And he came back and realized they don't have answers to these. And he had to leave the faith. His whole life that he had built it on crumbled. Because he realized that this faith that he was a part of was not based wasn't reasonable. It was just people making stuff up. And they were great people. My question, you don't usually have someone at a church say this, but how do you know we're not the same? You have to do this on your own. You have to get into the scriptures. And you have to look outside the scriptures and go, how can I trust the scriptures? How can I trust this stuff? Now, he's gone through a lot. And he wouldn't wish it on anybody. But I've seen the transformation in his life. He is a different man. And he told me, he said, Boog, I, I don't remember in those conversations you had, because I told him, I'm like, dude, I talked to you about this back in the day. He's like, you know what? I didn't want to listen. I didn't want to ask the questions. So, but my life is way beyond what it ever was before. Like, I am walking with a living God, and every day is better. And he's still examining and asking questions. He's like, hey, I when I'm in town, can we get together? Why? So he can hysteria. So he can ask these questions to wrestle with this. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with, with Cephas, who is Peter. That's the Aramaic name for Peter. And I stayed with him 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. And let's go on to the next verse. This is Paul looking back at his life, at the, it towards, uh, more towards the end of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. This is, like, this isn't, hey, cheer you on, Sunday morning type, but this is what my hope is, is that you would wrestle like my buddies Matt and Rick this week, that you would go home and wrestle with this material and say, is this true? Did this really happen? I want to share briefly with you um, one, like I said, there's so much. But I want to share with you one thing that's been very helpful for me and my faith when I look at the Gospels. If you line them up next to each other, you're going to see some common details here. And one of the common ones is that the women are the ones that are the first witnesses. To us, that's no big deal. We're like, yeah, so what? Equal rights, yay! They didn't have that back then. In fact, it was not legal for a woman to give testimony in a court of law. And so this woman, and this other woman, and it depends on which gospel you're reading, because we don't know how many of the women were there, they come back and they tell the disciples, Mark 16. So if you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 16. Uh, verse 8 says, They were trembling and bewildered. The woman went out and they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And then it says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. 
Wait, hold on. It says they walked back and then they came to the disciples. And remember, Peter was the one, Peter was the one that gave the testimony to Mark about this book. And when these women came back and they came to Peter and the disciples, the ones that were told by Jesus that he would rise from the dead, how do you think they respond? They didn't believe. If anyone should have believed this actually happened, it should be them, right? But it was so improbable they didn't believe. And you know why they didn't also believe? Because of the women. Because you can't trust a woman. And yet, why did Mark put the women in there? Because everyone at that time that was getting this, why did Luke put it in? Why did John put it in there? Why did Matthew put it in? Why did they say it was the women? Because that's what happened. If you look at other descriptions, uh, there, there's other gospels out there. They're called apocryphal, which means they didn't get into the Bible because they weren't credible. And when Jesus rose from the dead, you know what happened? Boom! He blew out of the tomb. And he floated above everybody. These are in these apocryphal gospels. He floated above everybody. And it wasn't just the women there. In these that were written 100, 200 years later, they have the religious leaders there. They have the Roman leaders there. And everybody's like, oh my God, there he is. Because isn't that how you'd write it? This is boring. This is not how you talk people into believing this happened. And you definitely leave the women out of it. They didn't have to include that. Why in the world would you add that? Verse 11, Mark 16, 11. Okay, this is the women coming back. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they, they being disciples, heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. And then we go a little bit farther here in Mark 16. Jesus appears to two other people. And they were walking in the country, and they returned and reported to the rest. So they came back and told the disciples, hey, we just ran into Jesus too. And what do you think the disciples said? We don't believe it. So we all think about Thomas, and we blame that guy. None of the others believed either until they saw Jesus. And then after Peter saw Jesus, in one of the other Gospels we see this, he sees Jesus, they're up in the upper room, and then a few days later, Peter starts doubting again. He's like, man, this is heavy. And so what does he do? He goes back to his old life. He goes fishing. Hey, anybody want to go fishing with me? He doesn't go fishing because he's, hey, I'm just going to fish. That's what I like to do. It's not like going surfing or going rock climbing. He's not doing it for leisure. He goes back to his old job. Let's go fishing. And then Jesus has to appear to him again. These men were transformed, but not till later. They're just like us. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite the worship team up. If they could come up. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to worship together. Um, we'll take the offering together also. And then I'm going to invite um, Matt to come on up and share with you his journey in wrestling with this material. Because my hope is that you do what they did. And Matt didn't know he was going to be up here before Wednesday. He does now. It's not a surprise. Rick, because he didn't know, took a shift at work so he could only be here for the first service. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe he would have taken two shifts if he knew, but... Um, So if you could join me and I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we do believe. But help our unbelief. And we really want to rely and trust and put confidence in this. So we we set aside this time, Lord, to be before you. And ask that you would give us guidance on how to walk from here. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we are here at that moment.
You two ready? Let's do this. Come on up. Can you please welcome up? Ricky and Matt, you guys come on up there. Yep. So I'm going to ask them some of your questions. Um, but I do want to start out with this. This is something I want you to hear. Notice that Paul, who was a Pharisee, who was well-known, who was an academic. I mean, if there were people that wrote books and sold them back then, he would be that guy. You would all know him. He would be the expert. Yet it said that he went to Jerusalem to examine and learn from who? From Peter and James. You know what they were? Fishermen. You keep waiting for, like, someone special that can give you this information. You can get this on your own. It comes from you getting into it on your own. And so they have. So... You guys want to just talk briefly about what you did, where you looked. So I'll ask some of the questions, but like what was the process for you even just looking this on your own before you knew you were going to be up on the stage, and then what it was like after you knew you were going to be on the stage? Um, so for me, I guess, Boog asked us just to kind of help him out, and um, you know, first he asked us to kind of go through scripture and see what we could find, and I think both of us kind of did the Google thing first. And, you know, of course, the first page that comes up will give you every single verse that has the word resurrection in it. Um, But after that, then it was like, okay, well, where else is it historically written down? And um, for me, the first place I started to look was historians at the time, um, looking for the historians for Caesar, the people that were around that time that were writing things down. Um, And it actually kind of blew my mind at how much other evidence there is out there. And I had never done this research either. You know, I took scripture for what it was and kind of left it at that. But looking around actually, like I said, blew my mind at how much there's actually written from non-believers, even people that lived during this time that had no belief whatsoever but couldn't, couldn't, you know, pass off the fact that this had actually taken place. So that was kind of for me. Yeah, I um, just thought we were getting a cup of coffee and kind of hanging out and just, you know, folks been encouraging me That's with what some I things. thought, too. That was the plan. <laughs> so I really didn't think I'd be standing up it here was. talking with everybody. So I thought it was just kind of a super casual thing. Um, and then we started talking about the resurrection, and it's like it's not even Easter time, and, you know, um, <laughs> it's kind of a little different for me. So... Um, but then I, I kind of pressed into it with um, some of the scriptures, and the one that really stood out to me was First um, Corinthians fifteen seventeen. It said, "If Christ hasn't been risen, then your faith is useless, and you're still in your sins." So, like, this stuff's pretty important. Like, we really need to uh, know why we believe it, because after all, if it's not true, why are we all here? Um, I know I wouldn't be. I got other things I'd rather be doing, but it's something I believe. It's a um, it's a foundation of our faith. And I think it's important to be able to, to really know that. Um, so it's just a really cool experience, um, just to kind of dig in deeper. Um, as I kind of looked into it more, I just kind of got more and more hungry for it, um, kind of more confident in my faith. Um, and it really just kind of started to sprout in other areas of my life because, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that doubt from time to time. Um, but with this, I've grown in that, and um, it's kind of trickled out in other areas and really uh, just reaffirmed some things for me and the significance and importance of it. So it's been pretty awesome. All right, so let's get to these questions. Some of these questions I'm going to have to skip, though. Um, is Rick single? I'm not going to ask that one. <laughs> he is. Um, 
I thank you for the people that said they like my black sweater. Appreciate that. Um, person that said you look like a priest today. Appreciate that. Not helpful, but thank you. Um, okay, here's a good question. So, and you can keep asking them. How many different written accounts are there about people who saw Jesus when he rose from the dead? So how many different written accounts are there about people who saw Jesus when he rose from the dead? Again, you don't have to have all the answers, but what do you know? Sure. Um, well, definitely the four Gospels. Like I said, what, what stuck out for me was what wasn't in Scripture. So, I mean, I'll butcher their names, but uh, Eusebius was a historian at the time. Um, Tacitus, I think, was the other word. Tacitus. Tacitus. Whatever you think. Josephus. I mean, there was, I probably found a half a dozen historians um, during that time that a few wrote to Caesar and actually said, I, I, I don't believe this whatsoever, but I can't ignore the fact that this actually happened. And, and to say that to Caesar, who is the god at the time, is, uh, you're risking your life almost. You know, has this historian to say that? So, uh, yeah, I would have to say, as Christians, we start with the gospel, and then you look at Paul and all his letters, um, and then I also went back and um, looked at the historians during that time. I think I found around eighteen um, that were proclaimed as non-Christians during that time that had first and century, first and second century writings of it. Um, so some of the hard names Rick uh, mentioned, but there's like Polycarp and Clement and, and a couple others. So um, I think everybody during that time realized there's or something very specific and um, kind of extraordinary about the event. They described it in different times and different means, but I don't think anyone during that time could really deny that there was a man named Jesus that nobody knew where his body was. So I, I think everybody, for the most part, um, agreed on that um, with it. So there, there is a lot of uh, historical data, um, you know, in addition to the Gospels that I kind of dug into and was able to find. So, okay. What was the most helpful thing for you that helped build your faith the most in studying, you know, did Jesus rise from the dead? What was the thing that sticks with you? Like, whoa, like if you had to share one thing, what was it? Wow. I don't know, just the fact that, I guess it's the non-believers that really stuck with me the most, you know? I couldn't believe how many of these people, you know, were denied, 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 denied. But when it came down to it, they really couldn't, you know? Even they wanted to, they still did. They said, I I don't believe in him, but the fact is, this happened. But I I can't believe in it still. So Mm -hmm. that was what stuck with me the most, that these people would over and over and over not want to believe, but they couldn't. couldn't, Even though they had the evidence? could not admit it. Yeah, with the evidence, they couldn't not admit that it didn't take place. Uh, There's two main ones for me. I think one is um, it was prophesied in the Old Testament and New Testament. It said it throughout Scripture um, that he wasn't arise from the dead. Um, Jesus told his disciples, and then they still didn't believe and still doubted, whereas even some of the non-Christians at the time, they wanted to uh, make sure the tomb was really secure um, during that time. So the non-Christians even believed that what Jesus said um, was likely to happen. Um, And then the second big thing for me was the lives of the disciples. Um, They kind of appeared to be somewhat sissies and kind of, you know, a little cowardly at times. But right after Jesus came back, they were really renewed, repowered. And all of a sudden, these people are willing to die for what they saw. So there's a significant change in their lives. Um, I I would only die for something if I knew it was true. 
Um, I wouldn't do it just on based on a hoax or something like that. So they really devoted them, um, their lives to um, really getting the message out there and spreading the gospel because that's what they saw and that's what they believed. So, okay. And most of them died for it. So, Last question. Where do they start? So if you were to give them advice, you kind of filtered through all this stuff. We assume Google's a good place to start. <laughs> um, so we'll assume that one. Um, but where give them if you could give them one place to start and you can give them one place to start and I know it took you on trails and and took you to st- study what the people say that argue against it but where would they start I think you said it earlier I think the best place to start is look at the four gospels go to the section on resurrection and put them all next to each other and look at the differences look who's there who's not there how many angels appeared whether the rock, the rock was already rolled away or not um that's what kind of got me started, I guess, was looking at how different each one of those Gospels actually was in, in little bits and pieces. And how the evidence actually shows that by them being different, there was no collusion. You know, you can kind of tell that these stories, it wasn't like they sat in a room and said, all right, let's all get our story straight. You could tell that they each had their own take on it. It's like all of you would walk out of here and, and have a different take on this conversation that would be a little bit different to each one of you. So I say, if you're going to start somewhere, start with four Gospels. Look at those and see where they take you from there. Um, I guess. Well, I was going to say, whoever asked if Rick was single, they can start with asking him after the service. But um, <coughs> I, would, I would say most of us are here because um, we have a belief. Um, I would just start praying about it, just asking God to reveal himself through the scriptures, through interactions with, with other Christians, um, getting the Gospels, um, getting the letters of uh, Paul. Paul was someone that, as Boogie mentioned, was someone that um, wasn't a Christian and became a convert. So he was one of the people that wanted to deny it. And his radical transformation um, you know, really changed our faith, really changed the, the church, um, spread the message to everybody. So um, as Christians, the first place I think we should start is through prayer and then also in the Bible, which is uh, where Thanks, we need Matt. to be. Let's thank Rick and Matt. I want you to understand that the stuff that you're dealing with today, the circumstances, the joys, the difficulties, the stresses, they change in the light of the cross. And they completely get transformed in light of the empty tomb. You look at these men, the thing that is the most helpful for me is to know that these men, these fishermen, these tax collectors, these businessmen, these zealots, these normal guys, and these normal women, they were just like us before Jesus rose from the dead. They doubted, they argued, they ran in fear. The only, one that was th- the only ones that were there with Jesus on the cross were Mary, a couple of ladies, and John. Everybody else scattered because they were afraid. But then it gets to the point where they see the evidence. And for those, they got to see the risen Christ and have conversations with him. And I love that, the fact that Peter had a conversation with Jesus, saw him rise from the dead, had the interaction with him, left. And then a few days later, he's like, I don't know. He started doubting. And he went fishing. He went back to his old job. And then Jesus had to appear to him again. And then Peter, like the rest of them, all gave up their lives for the faith. They were told, look, if you just say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you can live. All of them except for John had that option. 
And you know what their response was? I, I, they didn't record the details of it, but it went something like this. Ooh, you're going to kill me? Ooh, big deal. Big deal. Death has been defeated. I have nothing to be afraid of. I know what I saw, and I can't lie about it. And if you kill me, I get to go to my Savior sooner. There's nothing you can do or say that will make me afraid. I might not want to go through it. I might not be excited about it, but there's nothing you can do to make me afraid because Jesus has risen. Father, I pray for us, Lord. I pray that people here will be motivated to jump in and Google it or open up their Bibles or or listen to what those who argue say or to grab some books on their Kindles or to order them or or go to the bookstore. But Lord, pull us together in houses and discuss this. and, And this is a big deal, Lord. And I pray that you would open our eyes. That Easter wouldn't be a one time a year thing. And especially that it, the reality of this would go deep. Help us to hysteria. Help us to do what Paul did. Help us to do what the disciples did. Help us to examine this. Guide us, Lord. Build us in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.